Welcome to With Relish on the Headstuff Podcast Network. If this is your first time listening in, welcome to the show. We're a fortnightly food podcast focusing on all things that are great in the Irish food industry. I'm Aoife Allen. And I am not Harry Colley. <laughs> uh, I am Ian Doyle. I am the producer of the show. But as we speak, Harry is on an airplane to Mexico, which we wish him well. Yeah, I, I don't wish him well. <laughs> I'm going to miss him and resent him at the same time. <laughs> and so I'll be filling Harry's big shoes for today. And yeah, we've plenty coming up in the show. This episode is kind of themed around fads and food trends and kind of what's wrong and what's right with that mentality in the food industry. Yeah, so we've got a couple of very, very interesting guests coming on today. We've got a first in the kitchen. We're going to have a couple on for the first time, which is very exciting. They're going to be talking to us about their lovely love story and baking career together. We have a fabulous dietitian in to tell us all about what's okay and what's not great to eat if you're trying to follow a diet or look after your health. And finally, we're going to be speaking to Ethel McElwain of the Irish Times and Forkful TV about the kind of sillier and more bizarre side of food trends and food fads as well. What's your favourite food trend? This is a kind of funny one because obviously I'm filling in for Harry at the moment and my knowledge of food and the food industry mightn't be up there with the two of you so you know your chefs one thing I think I can usually hold my own on is fads like I, okay, I, I jump thing, yeah, yeah well not just my I'm thing I'm into fads I like to eat fads <laughs> but <laughs> I jump on board you know any any trend like my friends are really surprised I hadn't bought a fidget spinner recently like that's my type of buzz to I get behind something I saw fidget spinners the other day what are they I don't know what it is it's, I just saw a picture of it and I was like that looks so it's bizarre. the new thing anyway Okay. I think I'll be able to kind of associate and relate to foods with kind of trends and fads as well yeah. so in that sense I'm looking forward to the chat with everyone yeah absolutely. what about yourself and for you anything you've kind of wholeheartedly endorsed as well while we're at it I do like this kind of live food thing that's going on at the moment so fermented food and eating uh, natural yogurts and kefirs and things like that I think there's a lot of sense to it and I know myself that the more of that sort of food that I eat the better I feel it is yeah. good for your energy and you don't feel as rubbish as you might do after eating like Brennan's bread and a piece of ham in the middle of it you know is that's I suppose a trend that seems to be enduring we'll hear more about it from the guys later on but it's something that's enduring and I think with good reason because it's a really sensible way to eat to have a bit of that in your diet all the time Uh, then in terms of like sillier stuff or not, not even silly, but kind of the more, I suppose, faddy, like yeah. things coming and going. I'm absolutely dying to go down and try the new poke bar that the guys from Claw have opened oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not one. that it's faddy, but like it's a new thing. Exactly, and I know that it's kind of taken off a little bit in London uh, and it took off in New York a yeah, while ago exactly. as well. So we generally tend to follow suit. Um, so I'm looking forward to trying that out. It's really delicious food. Harry actually did a lovely Hawaiian poke at the Fumbly a few months ago. And we wondered whether the lad spotted that and said, there's an idea. <laughs> so that's probably bigging ourselves up a little bit too much but he um, yeah he did it maybe six months ago and it is it's fabulous it's really really delicious food and then I suppose another thing that I've kind of a borderline obsession with ramen with really really yeah. good Japanese tonkotsu ramen where the broth is the thing that I'm really into it's like a, very often like a 24 or 36 hour boiled pig bones yeah, broth yeah. and when I lived in London that was a bit of a craze there was a bit of a ramen off going off in Soho okay. there was ramen shops popping Sounds up all dangerous. over the place it was amazing <laughs> and I was in there every couple of days stuffing my face <laughs> So that's a craze I'd actually love to see properly take off yep. in Dublin. There are places that are ramen shops, but I think it's it's not that really deep, proper pork broth. Mm. So yeah, that's another one that I'm really into. But I think what's going to be really, really fascinating today is going to be looking at, I suppose, the things that have a bit of a shelf life in terms of kind of like people just jump on it. Or also, as you said, kind of the everyone getting excited about one thing can really affect quality because maybe people just jump on the bandwagon of something that looks successful. And maybe yeah. there's a bit more of a mercenary objective behind it rather than somebody who's like, I want to make the best donuts in all of Ireland <laughs> or I want to make the best ramen in all of Ireland and really like 
give people that treat, like let them experience that properly and then other people kind of jump on. But yeah, it's going to be really interesting as well to hear from uh, a dietitian about, you know, a few things like whether I should be eating as much fat as I am or <laughs> if gluten is actually as bad for us as we think we are. So um, it's a one to look forward to for sure. So we get on with the show? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Now more than ever, eating habits are being dictated by what's in trend rather than what's in season. From burrito bowls to badafi flavoured donuts, the Irish public shared little time in getting wrapped up in the food world's latest craze. We are delighted to be joined in studio by the Irish Times food writer Aoife McElwain, who will chat to us about the good, the fad and the ugly of the Irish food industry. In your opinion, what is the definition of a food trend, if someone was to say that to you? Hmm, well, I would say that a food trend is something that has become so popular that everyone is pretty much obsessed with it. And I would make a distinction between a trend and a fad. I don't think there's anything wrong with trends. Sometimes it's just actually really fantastic when everybody's interested in the same things and we can learn and share from each other, such as the the fermentation craze. Uh, I'm into that trend. And I always see a fad as something a little more throwaway, something that's a bit more of an emperor's clothes kind of or new clothes kind of thing. Yeah. So something that doesn't have as much substance that doesn't maybe even taste good. You know, that's how yeah. I would make a distinction between um, a fad and a trend. Would we're, you guys do yeah, the no, same? We yeah, that makes a lot of sense. earlier on where a company or a restaurant that goes and does something really well, like say donuts, for example, mm. and then it becomes trendy and there's a lot of imitations afterwards where the quality then is just getting kind of less and less and less. You know, kind of people jumping on the bandwagon rather than doing anything creative or innovative themselves. That's what I would see a problem with it is if people are replicating um, and as, you know, it's like if you copy a sound file and mm. each time the quality gets sort of yeah, totally. more and more rubbish. So I think that sometimes that can happen with food trends. So you lose that initial creativity of the exciting burrito and then eventually as it gets down the food chain, it just it's just like a wrap with a bit yeah. of old rice <laughs> in it. What was it? Harry described burritos recently to me as being like a hot, wet, nappy full of meat. And I just thought, wow. And he wasn't even saying that he finds them gross. He's he's a big fan of an occasional burrito, but we were just talking about kind of the heft of them. They've got a really unique yes. weight and feel to them. And that's how he described one. He's so right. A that hot, wet, nailed nappy it. full of meat. Yeah. Delicious. Yum, yum. Um, that's good. Another thing I was going to look at as well how food styling can go through kind of trends and fads as well like say mm. for a while you know you couldn't get a burger in town without it being served on you know a board and your yeah. fries would be in a mini shopping trolley oh or my god like that. <laughs> why, why do you think that happens and like what, what are we kind of moving on to now yeah, um, yeah, I have shopping trolleys written down here and my little trolleys for chips, it says. I know, it's like, who, I, you know the the amazing, like, white lady of Rialto, you yeah. know, um, the, the statue of the woman in the windows. So, you know, there's, like, loads of stories about, like, why is that some kind of, like, mafia thing? Mm. Or And apparently the, the most trusted story that I've heard is that it was just in a, there was a shop somewhere near Dublin 8 that was doing a massive sale on them like 20 years ago and everybody got them. It was just this massive interior design trend. Okay. So 
I think you're like, where is she going with this? But oh, no, I think no, yeah, yeah. keep speaking, baby. <laughs> but I think that there must have been some deal on those little shopping trolleys somewhere. <laughs> yeah, like about three years ago, yeah. because they were everywhere for for a while. The other really important thing of serving food has uh, changed so much because of Instagram and our yeah, yeah. love, myself included, of taking pictures of the food that we're eating and sharing it online. Um, so. That has also teetered into slight madness as well. There was an Israeli restaurant, I think two years ago, that um, had like specifically Instagram design plates. So they were sort of like a plate shape with this sort of backdrop on it. That was, I know. <laughs> and it was just, yeah, it was really, that was too much. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. But they're kind of catering to their clientele. They're yeah. being, probably being quite smart. Yeah. In Toronto and Koreatown, or in Koreatown and Toronto, rather, they've opened up a cafe maybe two years ago, and it's called the Pooh Cafe, and oh all they serve is ice cream, but in small toilet bowls as well. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you look up, like, hashtag Pooh Cafe Toronto, thousands and thousands of searches are there, and, like, you know, for them it's free advertising, like, yeah, we went yeah, here yeah, yeah, just yeah. as tourists. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm, mm, I don't know, mm. there's a business model in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, and it's playful and kind yeah, of harmless yeah. and <laughs> totally silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yuck. <laughs> Speaking to what you were saying there, are you actually seeing people moving towards genuinely thinking more about what they put into their bodies, like eating better food? Yeah, I mean, I think something that the clean eating fad has done is also shone a light on kind of crazy diets mm. and um, the need for balance as well. So I think it's really good to eat clean. Um, maybe, I don't know. I don't, I'm don't. i not a nutritionist or doctor, but mm-hmm. I um you know, in moderation is yeah. is a fantastic way uh, to eat, I think. Um, so I think the kind of there was a lot of debate around was this sort of obsession between a distinction between clean and dirty food. Like, yeah, is yeah. this actually healthy for people? And I would be of the opinion that 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 it isn't. And so, but a positive part of that debate is people maybe seeing the need for for balance and different types yeah. types of food. Um, I think that people have more access to good information, but unfortunately at the same time, there's Mm. a lot of confusing information out there. So I suppose it's important to get your information from a, from a nutritionist or a dietitian um, who can back up what they're saying with science, I think is, is good. That's maybe a bit of a fusty answer to, um, (laughs) to a nice question, but um, I, 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 I don't know. I suppose I can only speak for, can I speak for myself? Yeah. I know I'm seeking out healthier food. Yeah. Like um, I feel like the demand is yeah. rising and yeah. the supply is more readily available than it was even like four or five years ago. Yeah. I feel like food is just a bit nicer mm. in Dublin now mm. in markets yeah. and kind of in more high-end grocery places as mm. well. There, there's really nice stuff available. And do you think that people are more political about food as well? Do you think that's kind of rising? And not in like a vigilant um, sort of... I suppose what I mean about that is um, being a bit more aware of where yeah. they're shopping and, um, you I know. I think so. Like, actually, Ian and I were looking through the BBC's 2016 predictions for food trends <laughs> in 2017 and yeah. zero waste was, or oh, yeah. reduced I, waste I, I at least was one of them. At that. I mean, I 
kind of exist in a bit of a bubble. Yeah, I work yeah. at a cafe restaurant where we work really, really hard not to throw any food in the bin. Mm-hmm. We're pretty conscious of that in a nice way. I mean, we try to like we preserve things and yeah. we try to create our own stuff in house that lasts a long time, mm. you know, through preservation or fermentation. But I feel like people I know are starting to be more conscious now, like people I know who aren't that into food, they're just moderately normally into food, um, are becoming more conscious of waste and kind of not demanding or not expecting perfect looking vegetables. They're okay with the idea of a weird looking carrot Mm, or kind of a knobbly apple or whatever. Yeah, I'm hearing more conversations about stuff like that. And I hope that it's more widespread than just the world that I inhabit, you know. Mm, Yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Again, kind of speaking to that BBC list of uh, trends that we talked about, there's a really interesting part that talks about how the ferment trend kind of built and took off. And it references kind of three or four different factors. So the Nordic eating, the interesting Korean food that's spread around the world, and then also really solid research coming out about gut health. So that's quite an interesting example of how it's not just, you know, one influencer. Yeah. It's kind of a bunch of different things coming mm. together at the same time to create quite an enduring trend. Yeah. And a really, really positive one as and far as I'm concerned, you know. Absolutely. And I suppose you find that with the sourdough as well. Mm. Um, but these are really old, uh, ancient yeah. forms of cooking and ways of cooking. And it's just, it's really cool that science is is here now to kind of... To confirm that they were always a good yeah, idea, basically. Yeah. And certainly something I think about a lot is uh, I think it's really hilarious that my grandmother's diet is in in some circles the trendiest diet yeah. out there. Yeah, like yeah. she grew her own food out of necessity. Like there was never any waste. I don't think she was into like gochujang, Korean uh, or kimchi Possibly or anything. Not. But like, <laughs> uh, But I just, that always kind of tickles me that my granny was kind of a hipster but um my point in bringing it up is it's like trying to sort of take what we've learned in the last sort of generation our parents generation possibly when there was the luxury of convenience food which there was many good things that came from it as well like feminism and um, you know so it can't be we can't just uh discard it completely yeah yeah. and um but it's like a lot to unlearn though as well yeah Big time, yeah. yeah. So it's getting the balance of um, going back to how your granny did stuff, but while, you know, having a bit of an easier time of it, yeah. I suppose. Getting out of the house a bit more, yeah. you know, like <laughs> not being kind of Also confined. being able yeah, to totally. have a job and yeah. not have to just look after children or whatever. I think that's why everybody's so exhausted. <laughs> we're trying to, yes. Trying to manage all of that. Well, yeah. that's true. So we're speaking obviously about the BBC list. Now that we're halfway through the year, I think it might be funny more than anything else. Just have a quick look and see if any of their predictions kind of came true. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do is read out their 10 from January this year and you'll tell me if you kind of seen or noticed a difference in them so number one is taco fever as mm. they phrased it mm-hmm. hmm. <laughs> so I think we have a real dearth of um, tacos in Ireland for whatever reason mm. there's um, an amazing shop in South Richmond Street Picado that actually yeah. sells proper yeah. corn um, tacos and there's this cafe called the Fumbly that um, <laughs> we do a nice do, fish taco yes, from time to time yes. oh. they sell out in Jig time, yeah, but they're such a pain. I did them a few weeks ago. Oh my god, they <laughs> dominate the whole kitchen. They're really? just so messy, but they are delicious. Mm. Sometimes I confuse wanting to eat something with wanting to cook it for fifty people. Yeah, and I did that with fish <laughs> oh. I was like, oh, I'm going to make them so I can eat them, and for many, many other people too. You I know. see. I would love to see this happen. Uh, I'm all for it, and yeah, I feel like people might think that burritos are... It's, yeah, Ireland's saturated with Tex-Mex from yeah. what yeah. I've seen and there's not that much there's kind of There's a gap there for some really good yeah. proper Mexican mm. food, you know. We're seeing sort of the beginnings of 
of uh, yeah, some exciting taco action, I think. Yes. Uh, low and no alcohol drinks for number two. Hmm. So I uh, am a non-drinker and have been for a couple of years. I call myself a recovering Irish person. And um, <laughs> so I'm all for this. It's a pet peeve of mine um, when I go to like a beautiful restaurant where it's so clear that everything is, has been so thought out and um, the, the provenance of the ingredients and all the starters, mains and desserts are just beautiful and it's an inspiring creative menu. And then the only thing for me to drink is like a Coke. Yeah. And that happens really a lot. Yeah. Selfishly, let's make this happen. Um, yeah. I've really been enjoying uh, the kind of fermented drinks uh, stuff. And I think Could there's a lot more we could yeah. do with that. Yeah. Um, and the family has really been leading the way mm-hmm. in that way, which has been great. Yeah, super. Number three is sea vegetables. Hmm. So I guess uh, can we include seaweed in that as yeah, well? Yeah, totally. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think it's been a really good year for seaweed, hasn't it, already? Then pickles and ferments, we've kind of spoken about it already. Yeah. But, uh, they're here, here, they're staying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. Into it. science backs it up. Yeah. Uh, an interesting one, zero waste. Do you think, are people being more mindful about their waste and what they're throwing out? Yeah, well, I don't know if you guys, if this is the same for everybody, but our uh, waste collection service in my home, so now you are obliged to get a compost bin, which wasn't always the case. And as far as I understand, there is a law now around putting your food waste in the uh, black bin. So what that has certainly done um, for me as someone who is like fairly conscious about food waste, but well thought I was. And then I got the compost bin and was seeing actually how much food I was throwing away. Um, so I think those kind of things, the same as our shopping bag tax, they really help. Love. Yeah, <laughs> no, it is. And it really totally works. Agree. But it it's just work, it's yeah. a visual thing as well yeah. of just being like, God, and realizing how much lighter your your regular bin yeah. is. I think it will make a big difference. Number six, Insta ready food. We kind of spoke about this earlier yeah. on. Like as long as it's again not style over substance. Or, yeah. But yeah, you know, you eat with your eyes mm. yeah. first. It's the first taste, so why not make it look really good? Seven is smart tech in the kitchen. I know, like mm. even like myself, I'm you know a home cook. I love to cook at home. Not professional, but around Christmas time, I was like, you know what I really need is a home sous vide. Like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Such a man toy. Yeah. I don't know a single woman who else Which I didn't get, <laughs> and I'm delighted I didn't, because I might have used it once. But uh, yeah. do you think, are we going towards that way where you want, you know, really high-end products at home? The height of the kind of MasterChef craze uh, a couple of years ago, and definitely, like, the word sous vide became mainstream as mm-hmm. well. I wonder if we've, uh, if we've gone away from that a little bit, but I think still using kind of recipe apps and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I know that my phone has remains, you know, in a perilous position in the kitchen at all times because it's very close to being dropped into a pot or it's always covered in flour and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, I'm the same. It's an amazing resource. Yeah. yeah for And for cooking professionally as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I sometimes think how much harder it must have been. I know mm. people had years and years of training, but, yeah. you know, sometimes you just feel like there's something missing from something. Mm. Look up a recipe. And yeah. Boom. You know, yeah, it's really, really useful. Number eight mm-hmm. is insects. We actually had for our last episode a lady called Anna Rattori. She's a DIT PhD student in, and she's doing her PhD around using insects in the human diet. So that was kind of my first insight into it. Yeah. Fascinating. For me, it probably seems a couple of years off until it yeah. becomes a bit more mm-hmm. mainstream and mm-hmm. the kind of stigma attached to it gets thrown aside. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's definitely getting there, I think, anyway. So many trends now would have seemed, kimchi would have seemed very weird yeah. to Irish people 
six years ago, yeah. you know, and yeah. they're chowing it down like there's no yeah. tomorrow. So, yeah. yeah, I think insects could well be in the future. Yeah. Uh, Portuguese food at number nine. Ooh, interesting. My only insight mm. into the Portuguese food really is, you know, Nando's. And I don't even, <laughs> Nando's haven't, even I haven't even eaten there, but that's <laughs> yeah. the, like my only kind of... Yeah, uh, exposure so far. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's obviously caught on very well. But yeah. in a mm. kind of more highbrow fashion, has Portuguese mm. food taken over? Oh, that's interesting. You know, I don't really know too much about it apart from maybe a more authentic version of uh, Nando's in Portugal that I've experienced, just mm. like amazing kind of grilled chicken and yeah. chips. That's interesting about Portuguese food. Yeah, well, I look forward to finding out more about it. <laughs> I've because seen a lot of custard tarts, you know, oh, like little yes. notas. They're oh, popping yeah, up around Dublin and they're generally not brilliant but mm. I'd say it's only a matter of time before yeah. a bakery maybe even Charlotte and Shane oh. <laughs> start producing them because they're actually they're the, the only thing I ever queued for when I lived in London there was mm. a place in West London that did really really good ones and they probably produced like 300 on a Sunday morning and when they were gone they were gone but people queued Portuguese people mostly queued around the block for them they wow. were divine finally it seems incredibly broad but <laughs> healthy snacks <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely noticed uh, it's easier still not uh, super easy, but it's easier to eat healthy uh, on the go mm-hmm. uh, than it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. You know, if you were trying to eat quickly, it was usually crisps and um, Mars bar. like, yeah, totally. you know, which both have their place and are both delicious. But the danger again is just, you know, you can't see this, guys, but I'm using quotation <laughs> marks, quotation marks, healthy, unquotation marks. Yeah. So those kind of fake healthy like snacks. protein bars and yeah, stuff like that. That, yeah and then even kind of you know vitamin drinks that oh, are yeah. just crazy. full of sugar yeah. and weird additives and stuff like that so i think it's healthy snacks that sounds great but it's just about uh, being an educated shopper yeah. i think too and not being duped like i was saying earlier we are um i think increasingly aware about packaging about labeling mm-hmm. and things like that but it's also very easy for us to when, especially when you're in a rush or whatever, to to not or a bit hangry. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, then in that case, you should just eat the Mars bar. Yeah. <laughs> That's what before <laughs> before something terrible happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree with you though it's easier to get like a little pot of nuts or seed mix or something like that yeah. you know, than it used to be and yeah. that's really nice mm, mm. Eva McElwain of Forkville.tv thank you very much for joining us in studio today we really appreciate the chat and it was yeah really interesting we might have you in this time next year to see what's uh, coming up for 2018 mm. nice idea brilliant sounds good thank you very much for having me thanks Eva. Turning now to the more serious side of food fads and trends, we're joined by Brendan Harold, a dietitian with P-Mount Healthcare. Brendan is going to help us examine and hopefully bust a few myths around healthy eating and diet. We want to kind of jump straight into the serious stuff on food trends and food fads, um, looking at the health and the science side of things rather than the kind of the more uh, jolly stuff that we were looking at (laughs) earlier, like banoffee flavoured donuts. Um, So one of the biggest trends of recent years is gluten-free and it's so enduring. I mean, I remember hearing about it first probably seven or eight years ago, gluten-free products were starting to come onto the market and as a cook uh, at the Fumbly, I see so many orders coming in gluten-free mm-hmm. and I wonder, does it match the number of celiacs or is it a lifestyle choice or what is it? So is this a positive step for people's health? Is gluten-free beneficial or is, oh, sorry, is gluten beneficial or is it misunderstood? Can you shed some light for us? I think there's a huge amount of misinformation around gluten. I think if you sit down and you ask your, your Joe Soap, what's gluten? 
I mean, a, a lot of people won't come up to you and say, oh, it's an amino acid found in, yeah. <laughs> you know, bread or wheat or like, well, it's found in like, say, rye, barley, yeah. wheat and oats, a little bit of oats, not too much. Um, so they they pre- probably don't even know what it is. There's an mm-hmm. association that it's bad for your heart or whatever, but actually it's not. There is, I suppose, there's various different degrees of um, gluten, let's say, sensitivity, let's say. So your main one, as you, as you mentioned, is celiac disease. And only about 1% of the population has celiac disease. And celiac disease is characterised by, if you say, for example, if you eat gluten, and what happens is it flattens out all the lining in your stomach. So let's say we've got loads of little lines, they're called mm. villi. The reaction you have with gluten is it flattens out. What happens when that happens is that you start malabsorbing. You don't start absorbing vitamins, minerals, fat, etc. Mm. That leads to nutritional deficiencies. There's some evidence that prolonged gluten exposure for someone with celiac disease can result in things like bowel cancer. Right, so okay. you you have a lot, quite a serious things, yeah. and especially if you if you're diagnosed as a child, if you're not absorbing vitamins and minerals and things, you get brittle bones. You have what's called failure to thrive. In other words, your yeah. your growth rate is, is decreased. Okay. So that's one serious aspect. Stuff. Very yeah, serious very, stuff. Very I serious mean, you don't stuff. want okay. to be, you know, and some people can have very, with celiac disease, kind of very mild symptoms. Some people might not even have any, like, gastrointestinal symptoms where some people might have steatorrhea. Have you ever heard of steatorrhea? No, no, no please tell me. Aren't you very lucky? Steatorrhea <laughs> <laughs> is a type of diarrhea characterised by oily stools. Oh, how are you? So, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be avoiding that. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good one to avoid, yeah. <laughs> so it can go anywhere like between that or you yeah. can get something called um, dermatitis hermatiformis. I may be getting that a bit wrong. It's a while since <laughs> sure I looked at it. But anyway, we'll roll with it. You sound authoritative. Anyway, so let's yeah. roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> Say it with confidence and you're fine. Um, there is no evidence okay. um, that gluten does anything to anybody um, that doesn't have celiac disease. However, what we are seeing at the moment in terms of, let's say, gastrointestinal diagnostics mm. would be um, something that's called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Okay. So let's say, for example, if somebody, the, it's, it's sort of a roulette diagnosis. So if somebody comes in, they're having problems, like they're having bloating, they're having diarrhea, mm. or they're having extreme cramping. They find that it happens after gluten-containing products. Mm. So... If they go in, they get, let's say, a biopsy done on their gut. They find the villi in it are fine. That's grand. If they do what's called a TTG test and that comes up negative, that means they don't have celiac disease. So anyone who is suspecting celiac disease, mm. you can get a simple blood test called a TTG and that'll help rule it out. But you have to be including gluten at the time. So if somebody doesn't have that, they get tested for a wheat allergy. So if you don't have an IgE response to the wheat allergy, which is um, an antibody response, then basically there's a simple rule out area. So it's neither wheat, it's neither gluten, or or sorry, it's not celiac disease. Mm. So people are reacting to a certain type of, we'll say, gluten-containing food. Now, my theory on it is is actually what it could be, is somebody could have irritable bowel syndrome or a functional bowel disorder. So again, irritable bowel syndrome would be characterised by, let's say, somebody having um, bloating, cramping, constipation or diarrhea. Yeah. So you can have loads yeah. of different types of it. So what's your advice to somebody who's having 
you know, bloating and a sore stomach and gas or whatever it may be after they eat. Could it be overeating or is it, you know, what's being put in? To a certain degree, I mean, there, there, there is lots of stuff out there. I mean, if somebody is having severe, like they are crippled over in yeah. pain, go to your doctor. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is our podcast will be yeah. fine. <laughs> doctor Reef in the house. <laughs> Definitely seek medical advice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well it depends obviously yeah if you sit down and you eat too much guess what you're going to be bloated I mean you know it's a simple advice but if you find that it is kind of impeding on your life for example if you are having cramps or anything like that do seek medical advice about it get referred to a dietitian and get referred to a dietitian who's qualified in FODMAP um, train, okay. training so that that would be really important um, and it's good to rule out anything as well because serious prolonged bloating could mean something else is yeah. wrong that's not as mm. benign as irritable bowel syndrome. Okay. So another trend that's becoming a bit more prevalent is sugar-free drinks and food and stuff like that. Are those type of things healthy for you in any way? Obviously, they have to have different additives to kind of get you, you know, the sweet taste that we all like. Are we doing any better by getting, you know, a Diet Coke than a regular one? Um, I, I, I think in general, look, if you, if you are... It, it depends on the person, I think, really, you know, if you're somebody and I deal with a lot of people who who, let's say, change is quite difficult for them. So sometimes the lesser of the two evils is better, yeah. really. You know, I think in general, if you're looking for a drink, try water. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really is the forgotten nutrient. Yeah. You yeah. know what yeah. I mean? Plenty drink water during the day. But I mean, if you had a choice between going the going between the two, it's hard to say. I mean, there's there's evidence linked with that is negative towards both. Like, let's say, for example, obviously we, we, we're we aware of, let's say, um, sugary drinks. Sugary drinks usually use what's called high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. It's the high fructose corn syrup that actually is 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 the really kind of bad stuff. It's almost like the yeah. trans fat of the okay, 70s. Right. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. The, the trans fat of sugar. Yeah. So that has the really detrimental effects on our, on our health compared to let's say and this is this is such an annoying thing for me is that people are currently asking me I can't eat fruit because it's got too much sugar yeah <laughs> so you know and, and this is it's completely taken the way and you can totally understand why people are, are doing this because not everyone has a qualification in chemistry yeah. that can yeah. sit down and kind of differentiate that high fructose corn syrup is actually a completely different chemical component to just fructose okay. or naturally occurring fructose yeah. so there is a lot of confusion out there around to be honest, it I even find it confusing and I'd often have customers at the restaurant where I work coming in and saying you know is there sugar in the tomatoes soup is there sugar and whatever I'm like well there's naturally occurring sugar but that's fine right and I'm kind of almost <laughs> wondering myself because so many people seem now to be following and I don't even mean like choosing a diet coke over a coke but trying to follow a diet where they consume absolutely no sugar yeah. mm. D- does the brain need sugar to function does absolutely. the body need like or is it really dangerous to cut sugar out of your diet entirely or um, I need to know is this. It, <laughs> is it really dangerous? God, I, I don't think there's any really long-term studies to say that it, it's dangerous. And to have a completely carbohydrate-free diet yeah. is is nil on impossible because anything yeah, yeah. you eat will have a certain especially vegetables will yeah. have will have a certain amount of carbohydrate in them. Our brain functions best with glucose. Okay. 
That's pretty much a fact. I mean, um, yeah. there's arguments against it, but nothing really stands up. It's it's basic science, yeah. you know. Um, it does function best in terms of, let's say, I suppose, what the cultural phenomenon of low carbohydrate diets and things mm. like that. From a therapeutic perspective, ketogenic diets work really well in terms of epilepsy. Okay. So people on ketogenic diets who have epilepsy have reduced amount of seizures and frequency of seizures. Yeah. And that's a really good therapeutic effect. What the ketogenic diet is now getting a lot of exposure for is this whole c- cancer cure. Yeah, yeah. There's no established facts on that whatsoever in yeah. terms of um, there's no evidence to say that sometimes and when people have cancer it's very important that you eat yeah. because your nutritional requirements go through the roof okay. so you have yeah. to try and eat That's because really interesting. 40% okay. of people with cancer actually die of malnutrition Wow. wow. So, okay. and that's true not even around the world. Well, yeah, in general, in 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 in, in a clinical situation, yeah. okay, um, and it, it is a natural kind of death process as well, where yeah. the body will start to shut down. But in terms of, let's say, I suppose if someone has chemo, they feel yeah. really sick. So you really want to get as much nutrition into yeah. them as possible, and okay. that's energy dense and that's protein dense as well. So taking on a kind of untested. Fairly radical diet isn't the isn't. thing to do. No, yeah, and I think I a lot of these things yeah. are really sold as kind of panaceas yeah. to health, like, you know, juice your way through cancer. Yeah, or the Steve Jobs, um, yeah. the fruitarian diet. Yes. Exactly, yeah. And that was one of his biggest regrets, he yeah, said, yeah. that he went down that route first without going to conventional um, treatments. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So the ketogenic diet, I, I know a little bit about it. It's um, it's a high protein, low grain, low sugar diet. Is that right? Or am it, I yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's it's high fat, high protein. Yeah. That's actually a really good segue to the subject of fat. <laughs> okay, now, great. I love fat. I eat loads of fat. I eat mm-hmm. like the skin off chickens I eat the pork crackling off the pork shoulders that we do at work so like I'm not even that much of a fan of flesh like meat in that sense I love the kind of gristly fatty bits that a lot of people chuck out and I think I'm in good shape but then I'm wondering sometimes am I doing myself a huge disservice should I not be eating all these animal fats should I be avoiding oils what should I be doing is fat good for you or bad for you Brandon definitely fat is essential it's an essential nutrient. <laughs> yes, you're delighted with yeah. that. Really you can give me the 20 afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, definitely. It's an essential nutrient. And even if I bring it down to our very makeup. So you probably might remember this from like third year biology. Mm. So we all have cells. And our cell wall is called a lipid bilayer. Okay. And lipid is fat. Yeah, fat, yeah. Oh, right. So we need fat to just be generate cells yeah. and everything like that. And like fat deficiency shows up in terms of, let's say, flaky or scaly okay. skin and things like that. And we also need fat then to absorb your fat soluble vitamins like okay. vitamin A, D, E and K. Okay. So it's essential for health, really. I suppose the, the confusion around fat came from the 70s, I suppose, mm. when they discovered that dun, 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 saturated fat yeah. raised your cholesterol levels. Mm. So... That came in, industry went mad, started basically branding. And this is where I see this sugar thing that's yes. going now. Yeah, I kind of like... It's a counter like thing, isn't it? History yeah. repeating itself. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's kind of looking around, what nutrient can we vilify now and sell <laughs> more things? <laughs> you know, and it's exactly yeah. the same. It's just this cycle that's going around again. And I, I, I kind of like bang my hand off my head and go, no. Yeah, yeah. But it, they took it up sort of very wrong. So it was this kind of thing where people were going for low fat. I think the aim of low fat 
really and and dietitians will still probably advise about reducing your saturated fat in particular okay. and increasing let's say your let you say your polyunsaturated fat and your monounsaturated fat so keep drinking the olive oil i mean yeah. that's that's really really should good. i lay off the pork skin <laughs> possibly <laughs> <laughs> but again what about if i deep fry it because i do that two negatives make a positive oh, okay oh good. that's great yeah <laughs> Deep fried saturated fat. Yeah, maybe. Perfect. <laughs> That's how I roll. <laughs> oh, look. Do you know what? It's an, it's an individual thing. And at the end of the day, like, you can only control 30% of your cholesterol levels. Yeah. 70% of your cholesterol destiny is predetermined by yeah, your genetics. Okay. So there is so much. And, like, it depends if it's a problem for you, it's a problem for you. So yeah. if you're worried, get them checked. It's not a problem. Yeah. Keep on going. Yeah. Until it is a problem. Take it a little bit easier, maybe. <laughs> I'm smiling ear to ear at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Smoke. Um, I think I can just have one more question and it's probably mm. around the psychology of food trends and fads and I don't know if it's something you can answer or if you have an opinion on but let's give it a shot anyway. <laughs> I definitely so, have an opinion on it. Either, <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> so, um, I suppose, like, a, a lot of us, I'm not saying all at all because, you know, people have different le- levels of access to information and different levels of interest. But a lot of us do kind of have a good sense deep down mm-hmm. of what is a balanced diet. Absolutely. Stage, okay? Yeah. So why are we so easily swept up when a new trend emerges? Why do people get so faddy about food? Is it some sort of like pack animal instinct that we all just want to do what that guy's doing? Or are we really nervous about our health? Or do you have any insight into what this is about really? Like why do we all jump? Not a huge amount of evidence based, let's say. Um, It's pure opinion. Um, And I think probably a psychologist would be better armed to to answer this question. I think if people want to do the best for themselves. So they see something new and it's sort of like, oh my God, this is great. And sometimes to a certain extent... These these sort of things can be like hope in a jar. Yeah. They can be like the quick fixes, the magic pill. This is going to sort everything mm. out for me. They seem to be presented by lovely, sexy celebrities with gorgeous bodies, etc., etc. So you look yeah. at that and you go, oh my God, if I do this for 30 days, I'm so going to be like that person. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> you know, exactly. You know, and we all we all know that it doesn't. I yeah. mean, you know, there's, if you, there's if you, a certain commitment to but. My opinion about it is that if if it leads you on to being a healthier person, yeah. that's great. A lot of them are really restrictive. I wouldn't say they'd be good to do long term. There's something a bit sexy about it. There's not really anything sexy about common sense eating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's kind of a hope springs eternal sort of a thing. Humans I kind of believe think. that they can always improve themselves, I suppose. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, it is. It good is. On you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Brandon, it has been such an education to talk to you and loads of crack as well so yeah, that's a really nice great. combo but um, absolutely fascinating conversation fascinating rather and I think will probably be very very useful to people at home listening in um, and it's just been a pleasure to have you on yeah, thank, thank you, so thank you very much. much thanks for the invitation Each week on With Relish, we invite someone in with us who's made an impact on the Irish culinary scene. Today is no different. However, we're happy to be joined by our first couple for this week's edition of In the Kitchen. Shane and Charlotte met studying at Coho Brew Street and then spent 18 months in San Francisco cutting their teeth in the huge artisan baking scene there. They returned in 2016 to Lund's Scale Bakery, where they produce some of Ireland's best specialty baking with a focus on sourdough and beautiful pastries. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. Morning. 
great Thanks to have you here. Yeah. Thanks ah, a million listen, for Our us. pleasure. Um, so tell us your scale. What's the story? <laughs> tell us the story of the last couple of years of Shane and Charlotte. Well, where do we begin? <laughs> well, it begins in college. In Cahillborough Street. Um, mm. Shane cut his finger on the first day <laughs> of our <laughs> practical kitchen class. And, and Charlotte lashed a plaster on we my finger and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> we were placed beside each other because... Because of the alphabet. Because they of still alphabet. do that. It's been going since then, I suppose. Yeah, we've worked <laughs> in a few different restaurants around Dublin uh, while we were still slogging away in the chef industry. And we kind of burnt out quickly and saw a different side of food when we both worked in England for three months. I worked in um, River Cottage where they were making bread every day as part of the, the restaurant that like handles a lot of functions and weddings mm. and stuff. But they also have a cook school. So I was I was learning how to do like a pig in a day or foraging and all this sort of stuff yeah. and uh, just saw what food could be, yeah. which was great ingredients treated with respect rather than what I saw in Ireland or in Dublin at the time was like crap ingredients, highly seasoned. Yeah. Get it out as fast as you can. Mm. Yeah. And Charlotte like spent time in this amazing. Yeah, I spent three months working in a Michelin starred restaurant in London called Petersham Nurseries. Yeah. Um, but it was not like any restaurant I'd experienced before. It's in a in a glass house. They have a walled garden. The waiting staff wear wellies. The, <laughs> wow. the, the floor of the restaurant is just, you know, Everything dirt. was super um, seasonal. Everything comes from local producers. They have a great connection with local producers and the menu would change daily, weekly, depending on what was available. And I suppose it was that I was experiencing it in a a high-end restaurant in London and Shane was experiencing something very similar on a relaxed kind of scale on a farm, in basically. River Cottage, yeah. And we came back to Dublin, we were like, there's, there's nowhere no one doing, doing this. this. Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't find anywhere until I found the Fumbly. Yeah, that's and that, Shane that's what really Fumbly. kind of helped me to realise my passion for bread. Every, every week they have specials on mm. and um, basically I just found myself designing a special that needed bread to go with so I yeah. could bake a, so a loaf or two of yeah. bread to, to go with it. So and Ashling and Luca were so encouraging for Shane yeah. to, to go with it. To like explore that passion. They, and they saw that he loved making sourdough and he had this you know, passion for it so they just let him go with it. Yeah. And helped me get over my fear of public speaking and do my first workshop yeah. and it was the day before we left for San Francisco okay. and it was this beautiful thing where we had a practice run with everybody who works in the family the day before that and then I got all the cobwebs off and was yeah. going into my first workshop really excited and really full of energy and I just was able to get over that fear yeah. because it was something that I, I knew a lot about at the time but, but also just from the help that yeah, they absolutely. gave us and then we flew off to San Francisco the next day after that yeah. and yeah we started working in some amazing bakeries over there and the really big thing that they taught us wasn't so much about the recipes or it was more about everybody over there uses really good locally produced yeah. food and they will go to a market and pick it up and just the quality of the, of quality the ingredients over there incredible in california you know so it was so everything we were looking for it was for. eye-opening definitely and another thing in san francisco that we loved so much was the community of bakers how open they were with sharing with everything sharing techniques and sharing their time and recipes and recipes and and just opening their doors staying and staying connected you, to each other you know, 
go in for a day and see how their baking shift works and how they, yeah. you know, fit it into their day. Yeah. Just and how they're able to have amazing. a life as well as yeah, yeah. <laughs> working these crazy hours. Yeah. Absolutely. They just push themselves further and yeah. towards, you know, something that is, is more than a bakery. It brings people together and it's not so much about just getting as as much money in as possible. Yeah. They make sure that the people that work for them are as treated as well as the, the customers that come in the door. Yeah. And when you look after your employees, they really treat your customers, the most important people coming in, yeah. really well, like like family as well. Sourdough is a complex bread and it needs a really certain set of, of circumstances. It's complex to work. in terms Tell of technique, yeah. but... It's the most simplest form of bread because you still have just three ingredients. It's flour, water and salt and that's it. Yeah. And it just takes a lot longer than yeasted breads or breads made with, um, you know, baking soda, like soda breads yeah. or anything like that. And you just let nature take its course and it produces something that's far greater than some of its parts. What happens is this transformation through fermentation and you can bring out so much more from those basic ingredients just by giving it its time that it needs. Yeah. How long does it take to get a starter ready to go? Like from scratch? From absolute from scratch. scratch. If I'm standing here with flour, water and salt in front of me and I want to have a sourdough loaf in the future, how many days are we talking? If, if you don't already have your mother up and running or established or, yeah. or alive and healthy, it could take you maybe a week. Yeah, okay. So you take really good freshly milled flour and you add water to that. And then you let that ferment and you nurture it and you have to give it feeding every day and you observe it and make sure it's bubbling away Mm. at a rate that you want. It almost double in size after eight hours at room temperature. And then it it kind of reaches this point where it's really healthy and then you get to a peak. And so the peak basically means that it's very active. So you're harvesting wild yeast and bacteria Mm. and they're present everywhere. They're in the flower. They're on your hands, they're in the air. And as long as you give them the right conditions, they'll create an environment inside the sourdough culture that is kind of inhospitable to other pathogens. Yeah, Yeah, unpleasant bacteria. And uh, it keeps that really healthy by producing a lactic acid. And so the wild yeast can still reproduce in this lactic acid, but commercial yeast can't. So you you don't even need to worry about like cross-contamination of commercial Mm. yeast in your sourdough culture as long as it's healthy and it's acidic, but not too acidic. Like, I've made sourdough at home and I've done it from scratch. I think it took me about 12 days. And I, <laughs> it's great, like, such a cool process. You yeah. feel like you're looking after something. You are looking after something yeah. that's alive. And it's funny yeah. that you're bringing something yeah, to yeah. life. It's called it's a mother. Beautiful. Yeah. But, like, it is the mother to all your bread babies yeah. in the future. But the future, you're yeah. its mother as well. Like, yeah. you're looking after and nurturing. And, like, and children, and each one's unique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's produced is a, is a variation of the yeah. other thing, even and though it's kind of the same mama, you know? <laughs> yeah. Coming back into your time in Colbury Street, did you anticipate that you were going to go down the baking route when you started, or was that ever in your mind? No. Um, I, I, I always kind of felt like I did want to do something out on my own, but I never thought it would be a bakery. We we started working in kitchens together. Our first job was in Rustic Stone and I started on the pastry section and Shane worked on the hop section, salads, sides. Gosh, and yeah. um, I, I never anticipated being a pastry chef either. It was just, there was two positions available, one in the kitchen and one on pastry. And I just took pastry and it, it kind of just started from there. I think really. I always had it in the back of my head. Okay. Like from an early age, my grandmother, 
she had a huge family and she would have baked five, six loaves of soda bread a day okay. to feed the hordes yeah. of how many, hungry mouths. How many hordes going? How many mouths? <laughs> uh, 17. <gasps> Whoa. 17 children? Yeah. And oh that's just my, my mother's mother. Yeah. Yeah, there's 11 on the other side. Wow. So we're a pretty big family and lots of mouths pretty to feed. Big but others, yeah. I remember that first day when we started Rustic Stone, there was like a brief interview with Dylan and he was like, well, where do you see yourself going with this? And I was like, well... It's great for now, but I eventually want to get into bread in a big way and yeah. become a baker. I eventually want to be selling bread to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not to him. <laughs> so he does so much. Like yeah, I don't know. There, yeah, we're at the the size we are at the moment for supplying a restaurant that size. We, we would we just there'd be no way we'd be able to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about the size of the place now. Tell us about the work environment and also how your day starts. It's not much so bigger than this room. <laughs> yeah, it is about the yeah. size. Anyone who's room. listening, this is a very small room, yeah. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so oh. it's a prefab unit, isn't it? I've been out there, so it's a, yeah, it like it's, a it's a porta cabin. Yeah, essentially that fourteen has foot by ten foot. No bigger than that, and mm. it's been converted into a very small little bakery space. Um, yeah. We kind of adopted it from a woman called Azu who was making um, Japanese pastries and breads and she had a very simple setup and we've just gone with it we've rearranged it slightly got got a few more bits in it we bought a micro oven for micro bakeries it's a small bread oven that has like three decks you can fit almost 18 loaves at a time yeah you need to do a lot of rounds in the oven instead of doing one yeah, big bake we yeah. do a lot of small bakes yeah. okay and we've had to kind of change the shape of our breads a little bit than, than what we prefer but it's just so we can accommodate the demand that's out there for, yeah. the, for the sourdough I suppose our work days vary because on a bake day for instance we we get up at 2am and aim to be at the bakery at 3 um, that's for the mornings we're delivering pastries or sourdough yeah but then preparation days, which are usually Wednesdays and Thursdays, I suppose it's kind of a 7 a.m. start. So we're, yeah. we're in this... Luxurious. <laughs> we're in this... <laughs> <laughs> I know, no, I mean, oh my God. We're in this funny, like, kind of... We have a, yeah, a two-day prep lifestyle. for our three days of baking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the amount of hands-on work we're doing with the stuff that we make. It just takes that long through the fermentation, but also all the the lamination of Charlotte's pastries and everything. It just takes a lot of hands on work. And then, yeah, on a market day, we're up at half one some mornings or half twelve some mornings and we get get out to the bakery for one. That's mainly because we have so much to bake in such a small oven. Yeah. And that Charlotte's pastries, they take a bit of time to proof in the morning. Because we're rolling it out fresh every every morning and Guys, it's is such a labour of love. I it mean, is. that's what I'm hearing here. It's really, it's a beautiful thing to hear about people taking so much pride yeah. and sacrificing actually, you know, your rest <laughs> <laughs> and like living normal hours, let's say. Yeah. So why, why pour all this love and energy into it? It's, I suppose, our little baby. It's our little project that we, we started and... We knew from the outset it was going to be long days and early starts because we'd done the early starts in San Francisco and fully yeah. kind of delved everybody, into a baker's lifestyle. Everybody does it over there. And yeah. once you're up, you're up. And yeah. the the hours just fly by and we yeah. really enjoy it. I, yeah. I wouldn't want it any other way. I wouldn't okay. want to have someone doing it for us and yeah. us kind of like pointing the finger saying, you know, this is your prep list for the day. Yeah. Um, 
Are you happy with the size it is at the moment? And if you were to expand at all, would it be difficult then to kind of ensure that the quality was still there? The choice of equipment, really. There's a few things that could definitely make our days easier. Yeah. More space would help. Mm. More space definitely <laughs> yeah. would help. It's in such a beautiful location that we're willing to sacrifice yeah. the kind of... Scaling up. <laughs> scaling it up. Uh, just like the lack of space, it doesn't bother us so much anymore. We've found a comfortable spot and we're doing a comfortable number of pastries and breads throughout the week that we just kind of gotten used to it. Yeah, yeah. it's taken us, I suppose, since January to figure out what our capacity is and yeah. how we've, we've reached it and we're figuring out yeah. our routine. And, and we kind of slowly do more and more yeah. each week and we're constantly saying no to people who okay. want to buy stuff. That's really good. Okay. Yeah, um, the so the demand is huge, yeah, but yeah, we're turning demand. away a lot of business just to keep that consistency, keep that quality high. Who else do you supply bread for as well? So we do an online bread order through our Instagram account and, and through our website where people email. So they typically will email or order Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we bake and deliver the breads to Proper Order Coffee in Smithfield on Fridays, and they pick it up and pay yep. there. Um, and other than that, we have our market stalls. Yeah. And then we have a lot we'll of deliver pastries. Every week now. We I think we're six weeks into this bread subscription, I think is what you could call it. Yeah. And, and it's it's people taken every week off who every week we get more and more bread orders. Yeah. And but the, the every week there's a solid group of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like an office in Smithfield and one person will send around a text on a WhatsApp group. I think it's called the Bread Week. And uh he'll collect names and then go down to proper order and let them know how many breads that the office want. And then they have this ritual on Friday of every lunchtime they'll come in and cut open the breads and share it around the office. And it's really great to hear that back. And that's really why we get up so early and do what we do is like when we get that kind of feedback. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Like the market yesterday, um, we did the Fusion Sundays market in Smithfield. And it's always amazing seeing regulars come back. But what I enjoy the most is introducing new people to what we're doing yeah, and yeah. who we are and how we started and telling them the scale <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah telling them the story and hopefully seeing their faces again yeah and getting their feedback like a, a woman who'd bought a loaf of bread and some pastries yesterday messaged us to say the sweetest thing she said that it was like the bread her granny used to make in Italy and it just brought her straight back to her childhood yeah yeah and it's just it just when like, you reach someone at that level heart. yeah and yeah you hear that back it makes it all worth it. Yeah, you give them comfort and a sense yeah. of nostalgia for something. Yeah. It's really, exactly, really beautiful. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. a lovely thing. It's just so lovely. It's the reason Hearing we, back from the people who we don't like products. to like hand off the stall. You know, we could yeah. easily get someone to come in and stand and sell our stuff for us. Yeah. yeah. And for us to go back to bed and have a bit of a lion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, we love it. We love yeah. standing in Great. front of our stuff exactly, that we baked. Yeah. Yeah. This girl came up to the stall yesterday who had done a stage in... San Francisco just after we had left she was like I was in Craftsman and Wolves the week after you left and they couldn't stop talking about you and they knew I was from Ireland so they said to find you whenever I got back and she came up and it was just so sweet and I said to her I was like you know we have the opportunity to go home and and rest now but if if we had passed the stall on to a friend to mine for the afternoon I wouldn't have met you and made this connection so it's really lovely 
you live together, you work together, you've started business together. <laughs> yeah. How do you do it? Like, it's this is such a fascinating thing. I think yeah, the couple yeah, working together, kind of, you're so close. You go everywhere <laughs> together. You seem like the most mellow couple in the world. What's the secret? Or is it just magic? Like, I don't know what it is. We just work really well together. Yes. We do, like, don't Charlotte. get me wrong, we argue. Of course. We have tiffs. We, yeah. we fight about, like... It's mainly about me not being organised. <laughs> Charlotte You're is... You're so self-aware. Yeah. <laughs> to my yang, like, she is so organised and I'm so scatty and, and, like, I'll throw some mad ideas out there and she'll rein me back in. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, in that sense as well, I think sometimes Charlotte's a bit reserved and I'm... Yeah, like, definitely. Shane... We just compliment each other really well. Me to do something. It's beautiful. It's yeah. such a nice story. Um, and the last thing I want to ask you is just about so you came from, you kind of cut your teeth in San Francisco. It seems like you learned a lot there and have brought that knowledge back yeah, to Ireland, definitely. which is wonderful. Mm. And you're part of, I don't like using the word trend in relation to this because I think it's much more important than a trend, but sourdough is a little bit trendy, yeah. like people are really into it at the moment. How do you make sure that something like that endures? What's your idea for kind of making sure that sourdough sticks around and that it becomes a broader product across Ireland, at least? I think the reason at the moment it's getting so much attention is because people can eat it and they don't feel bogged down. They don't feel bloated mm. or tired, tired or yeah. We sleepy. hear that a lot. At we the, we at hear the that a lot store. when we like interact. instant benefits nearly yeah. people get. Mm. The but it's... Yeah. It's so much more than the yeah. health benefits, though. Yeah. I think it's, it's it's mainly got to do with that is what bread used to be. Yeah. It's not so much that sourdough is trending right now. It it what it is what bread was. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And before Charlie Wood bread and all that kind of yeah. fast dough improved breads um, became mainstream, and they were just basically produced in factories at such a rate that they could be bought for less than a euro whatever it is mm. and that's turned people away from bread yeah but now this kind of bread is coming back into the mainstream and people are realizing that this is what's been missing for so long yeah. and it's not so much the health benefits it's more got to do with the flavor it's like Delicious. it's so nourishing but it's also it reminds you of how simple food should taste yeah. and yeah it's it's a bit of everything it's so thank you so much, Shane and Charlotte, for coming in this morning. It's been a fascinating conversation about sourdough and relationships and all sorts. <laughs> if somebody's out there looking and probably will be looking for your delicious products, we would like to direct you to scalebakery.com. You'll find all the information there. Thanks again, guys. It's Cheers, been a pleasure. guys. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks you. Thank you for listening to this, our third episode of With Relish. We'd like to thank all our guests for taking time out to come on with us. As mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're a fortnightly podcast, so make sure to check out headstuff.org for our next programme. You can download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn and all the usuals. If you like what you heard, please let us know by writing us a review or following our Twitter page at WithRelishPod. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.